Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Do some of you feel lost, disconnected, like you're going through the motions? Well, my guest today is going to help you overcome them all because I am excited to welcome one of my favorite authors, human activists, you name it, Christine Kane to the story box. Now, Christine, for those of you that don't know who she is, is an Australian-born, Greek-blooded, lover of Jesus, a sought-after international speaker, author and activist. Known for her ability to effectively communicate a message of hope, Christine has a heart for reaching the lost, strengthening leadership and championing the cause of justice. Together with her husband, Nick, she founded the anti-human trafficking organization, the A21 campaign, which my heart is uh, quite involved in actually in, in what that campaign is actually trying to achieve. And they've been doing a fantastic job at it. Uh, for many, many years. She's a recipient of the Mother Teresa Memorial Award for their work combating human trafficking among refugees. They also founded Propel Women, an organization designed to celebrate every woman's passion, purpose, and potential. Uh, Three Ps that I love. Christine and Nick make their home in Southern California with their daughters, Catherine and Sophia. And now for those of you that know more about Christine, she is a very well-respected best-selling author of so many amazing books. For example, uh, Unexpected, Leave Fear Behind, Unshakable, my favorite is actually Unexpected, Undaunted uh, and Unashamed. And she has a new book out um, right now. You can go and pre-order a copy. It's called How Did I Get Here? How many of you have asked yourself that question one way or another. It is a fantastic read. Uh, She dives into many different questions, but the main one is finding God's purpose for your life. And it's basically after you've left God, it's finding your way back to God when everything else is pulling you away. So my friends, with that being said, if you do get something from this, and I have no doubt that you all will, please share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. I am a huge, huge admirer and fan, you you could say, of Christine, and it was a huge honor to speak with her and get to unbox her story. I have no doubt that you're going to to love uh, what we share in this conversation. We get deep, personal, and real. 
quick. <laughs> so uh, all the links are in the show notes below as well to YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Goes a long way once again. All right, my friends, you know how you got here today because you know what time it is. It is time to walk into these story blocks, learn about your God-given purpose and the amazing story of none other than Christine Kane. Jay, I am so honored to be here chatting to you and it's so nice to hear an Aussie accent. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so good to have you here. Uh, we were just chatting earlier. You're asking me a bunch of questions. Uh, I wish we had a lot more time so we can just talk for hours. Uh, totally. I, I can talk too much, but <laughs> today I no, want to make it about it. you. Um, the first question that I want to sort of start off this conversation with that I kind of start off all my conversations with is what does success look like for you? Yeah, I love that, Jay. And I loved it when, um, you know, that question came before me because the fact is I'm 55 this year. And so right now looking through the lens of the second half of life, success for me is, um, I really want to finish my course well. Um, I want to run my race well. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the finish line. It's still, I hope, a few decades away. But whichever way I want to slice it up, I've definitely got less time ahead of me than I've got behind me. And so I want to make sure that, you know, um, by the grace of God that I cross that finish line strong and um, having done everything that I've been put on this earth to do, that's really what I want to do. I think getting to heaven and having God say to you, well done, that good and faithful servant. Uh, you were faithful in the little things and I blessed you in the big things. Enter now into the the presence of, of, of heaven. I think all Christians would love to have that be said of them. For your work in particular, I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt at all that God will actually say that because you've helped millions of people around the world. Uh, you've inspired them too, to live a better life through your work with the A A21 movement. But this question I wanted to, to sort of ask you, where did it all begin for you? Like where did you become a, or how did you become a Christian? What's the story behind that? Sure. Well, you know, I, I grew up um, the daughter of Greek immigrants. So, I, you know, I um, uh, in Sydney, Australia. So um, I love that. But I was sort of well and truly into my late teens I grew up in a staunch Greek Orthodox home. So I had religion in my life from birth, basically. And but no, no real revelation of a personal God. Um, mm. I certainly didn't understand the gospel. And it was uh, through a, a, a number of different events through school and then university um, that really awakened me to the gospel, the fact that there was a God in heaven that loved me, that had a plan and a purpose for my life, that forgave me for all of my sins, of which I can tell you there was plenty. And, um, you know, that, that that would give me a new life here on earth. That to me was um, extremely compelling, not just the fact that God would save me for, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven one day, but that I actually could have a life of purpose here on earth and that my history didn't need to define my destiny. That that was just such a compelling message to me because I came from a, a background, you know, I was left at uh, Crown Street Women's Hospital in Sydney, unnamed and unwanted when I was born and um, then was adopted, of which I didn't find that part of my life out until I was 33 years old. Mm. Um, you know, I experienced um, sexual abuse for many years of my life as um, a young child. 
uh, my immediate nuclear family, they, they were wonderful, but there was people that they allowed into our home that they should have been able to trust that violated that trust. And certainly that meant that I grew up, Jay, with just so much shame, so much guilt, so much anger. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and bitterness and um, just a really confused sense of identity and purpose. So then when, you know, the gospel message was presented to me that my life wasn't an accident, that the things that happened to me didn't need to define me, um, but that, you know, Jesus bore my sin on the cross and gave me a brand new life today. I, you know, different people respond differently. For me, that just awakened me. So I think I was probably 21, 22 when a friend invited me to church and I had never really had much to do with Protestant church. So, you know, it was like, I remember walking into a church that was playing contemporary music and kind of had lights and um, communicated the Bible in a way that I could understand. I didn't even know that was possible. Like I didn't even know. I remember sort of first walking in going, you know, is this a disco? Because this is loud. We're talking 1989. So man, this is like permed hair and disco music. And when you come from a Greek Orthodox church, which is based on, you know, the Levitical priesthood and it just smells and bells and suddenly you've got, um, you know, and, and what was really startling to me way back then. So we're talking the last, uh, ja the last Sunday in January, 1989, in the back of Castle Hill, um, there was a woman standing behind the pulpit bringing the message. You got to understand, I'd never seen that. I, like, it was just like, oh my word, you know, something, it was just kind of all of the planets aligned in that moment. And it was like, wow, um, you know, Jesus saved me. And then I saw a model without realizing it. Often the medium is the message mm. of what I uh, now I can put language on it and say what I felt called to do. I wouldn't have known um, that's what I felt called to do. But it was, uh, I I was just one of those people that when, a, bit, a little bit like the woman at the well in Samaria, it was like when I encountered Jesus, everybody was going to hear about it. I mean, you know, I went back to my family, back to my university, back to my community. I was just always talking about Jesus and what he had done for me. And, you know, nowadays I do it with a microphone in my hand, but I was doing it before I ever had the microphone, you know, like it was just, this is sort of a natural outflow. Most things in my life that I'm doing today um, are an outflow of just really who I am and what Jesus has done in my life. So, you know, that was way back 1989, mate. That's where it kind of, where I can say I really sort of got on a discipleship path and you know, that was whatever that was 32 years ago and or 33 years ago. And here I am today. What was your family's reaction when you came home and told them, Hey, I got saved. Here's Jesus. Here's the gospel message. What was, what was that like? You know, 1989, a woman, Greek Orthodox, let me just say they were not rolling out the red carpet. It was not, <laughs> um, you know, it, it was, they did not respond with joy. Like you have got on your face right now. Uh, you know, I look at it now and I think it was a great grace because it made sure that I really did get saved and really committed my life to Jesus and not um, an institution and not a method. Uh, it was, it cost me, you know, my family for, for a few years 
barely spoke to me. You know, I, I wasn't invited to family outings. I, it was, and especially back then, to be Greek is to be Orthodox. And the, the Australian immigration scene was really different back then. And so, uh, you know, the immigrant communities were very stuck together because we were very marginalised in Australian culture. To be Greek or Italian in the 70s and 80s when I grew up was not like a popular thing. You were very marginalised um, for your ethnicity. And also, uh it being a woman, you know, it was like um, it was like a disgrace to my family. In fact, for them, and especially when I got water baptized, it was like committing the unforgivable sin, you know, to to convert in that way. It was like not only turning my back on for them religion, but also my culture and my identity. And so, in those early years, it was extremely difficult, extremely painful, but it forced me to have to dig deep and be a, a truly committed follower of Jesus, which is why I think 33 years later I'm still here, mm. um, because it was it was sort of not a person or it wasn't a particular church or a style of worship. It was truly Jesus, and I had to count the cost. Mm. Um, and so I think in that way I look back and I, as painful as it was, I'm grateful for the experience because I think it anchored me very deeply in a, 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 a faith that was built on Jesus and his word. Mm. I think there's no greater purpose like having, I know it now 100% that Jesus gives us the ultimate purpose. Yeah. And just knowing who he is. And I think that that's for a lot of people that's hard to understand, but I want to sort of, um, dive into identity for a moment and shame because I myself um, have experienced, you know, sexual abuse when I was six years old. So I can, I can relate to that sort of story. And you're right. Like you don't expect it to happen in your own home. Like no one, no one expects it to come about. And it's almost like, what do you do with that? And being a, a male and being sexually abused by another male, the shame of that, not, I didn't really fully understand it then. Yeah. It's kind of like my brain, put like this, I call it a uh, traumatic days over to cloud everything that was going on. Um, but for you, what did you, what did you understand the most about the shame, the identity and how did you really, was it because of Jesus and did Jesus help you overcome that shame and overcome that, that, that trauma? So, Jay, you know, firstly, I'm just so sorry that happened to you. It just, it literally breaks my heart. Um, It it just permeates so much of society um, abuse. And anyone listening to this, I mean, you know, uh, you need to be aware. I I don't want anyone to be triggered because um, it it is just so painful. You've got two people right now, you know, a man and a woman talking about um, sexual abuse. So that can just evoke so many emotions uh, for people. And certainly when I was growing up, um, we were not aware of the trauma that comes with that. There were very few books, if any, like written about it, to be honest, you know, I'm older than you. Uh, nobody spoke about it. There was not even the word abuse. I mean, we're talking, we're recording this in 2021, you know, back in um, the 1970s, 1980s, I had never even heard the word. So I didn't even realise um, how much trauma I had just pushed down. And, you know, you just learn to be a survivor. That's just what happens. You you survive and you do whatever you can to survive. But obviously it had deeply destructive ramifications um, in my heart and mind because, you know, when, uh, you, you know, you were six years old, I was even younger than that. When your whole sense of identity and trust and value and dignity has been violated from such a young age, 
it just messes you up from the inside out. And so I cannot recall a time in my life where I didn't know shame. Like I just didn't, I, I, I was ashamed of who I was. I, I wouldn't have even been able to articulate it, but I certainly know that I went through most of my formative years thinking, what is wrong with me? There is something wrong with me. And that's just the default system because uh, when you go through something like that, that no child should ever, or no human, no person should ever have to go through, um, it so deeply, deeply impacts your sense of identity, your sense of value, your sense of dignity, your sense of self-esteem. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's always been the plan of the enemy. I mean, when you go in and just, two-second Bible study here, when you go into the very last verse of the second chapter of Genesis, the last thing the Bible the Bible says, uh, God says to us, Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. It's always stunning to me that God wants to remind us that just before the fall in Genesis chapter three, the last thing he wants us to remember is that you were never created to know what shame is. I mean, it does. he could have said anything that Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no pick an emotion. But he actually picked the word shame to, for me, that is like a reminder, you were never designed to know this. You were never designed to know what this feels like or the weight of it. And no wonder it so deeply impacts us. And it has always been the plan of the enemy to heap shame on us so that we don't know who we are, that we don't know what our identity is in Christ, and we don't know what our purpose and our potential is. And so, you know, the very first thing that happens in Genesis chapter three, then the result of the fall is that the enemy puts shame on them. You know, Adam, uh, when God came into the garden and he says, where are you? First time they hid from God. And I think that's what we do. That's what abuse does. It causes you to go into hiding. You you yeah. just minimize yourself. You hide yourself. Um, and, you know, the Lord says, you know, where are you? And he says, you know, we um, the, here we are. We, we're like hiding. They're, they're like hidden. And we were fearful. And that whole Fear and shame came on them. And then, you know, the Lord says to them, who told you? Who told you you were naked? Who told you? And I think that's what happens is you believe the lie of the enemy, that I have no value. Um, you know, you add that to me um, with being abandoned at birth, being adopted, that, that, that root of rejection, that root of shame took, mm. took root in my life, you know, from my mother's womb and then all my formative years. So there was a lot of developmental wounding and it was then when I um, was saved, now one thing is we, we, we are saved and a lot of people go, yes, I'm saved. My spirit is saved. It's born again. I'm going to go to heaven. But what we forget is we also have a soul, our mind, our will, our intellect, our emotions. God has created us, body, soul, and spirit. And the fact is, especially when it comes to sexual abuse, both our bodies have been violated. So there's a lot of trauma. Our bodies keep, there's a great book, The Body Keeps the Score. It tells you what happens to us, um, uh, you know, and then also our soul has been deeply wounded. And I think a lot of times as believers, we are wondering, why am I still so broken? Because I'm born again. I'm a new creation in Christ. I should be flourishing. I should be thriving. Um, and what we forget is that our soul has been so deeply wounded and it is separate to our spirit and it's separate to our body. And so our soul needs to be, uh, needs healing. And so the one thing I'm very grateful for is from my early twenties, um, even though, you know, immediately my spirit was born again and saved and, you know, I was, I was going to heaven. I did recognize and I had fantastic people in my life that was so committed to helping my soul 
find healing and wholeness. And so that began a journey. I'm 55 now. So I've been on this journey for 33 years um, at differing degrees and differing phase phases of having my soul being healed from the inside out. And the, the more I have allowed the Holy Spirit to do a deep work on the inside of me and bring healing to those dark places of shame and brokenness. Um, and the more I've been committed to renewing my mind by the power of the word of God and replacing the lies that I believed about myself um, with the truth of who God says I am and what God says I can do and who God says I am in him, as I have been on a three-decade journey, not an overnight thing, it was not just one night and it all changed, as I've been on that three-decade journey of replacing my thoughts with God's thoughts um, and of allowing the Holy Spirit to do a deep work on the inside of me, I find that the deeper I allow him to do a work of healing in me, the more work he is able to do through me. So a lot of what you see with me doing with a21 and propel women and my preaching and teaching and resources going out. Uh, there is a direct correlation between the depth of the work being done in on the inside to the amount of ministry that's being able to be done externally. Mm, I love that story. And, and because I can relate to so much of it, that's helpful for me because you're a lot older than I am, even though you don't look it. And <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm like I said, I'm only 24. So I actually, going through this this journey and i don't want to trigger anyone that's like the last thing yeah, i want to do sure. i want to help people 100 percent. but everything you just said made perfect sense to me having gone through that and i hope that it makes sense to people that are listening here um you decided to write a few books undaunted unashamed unexpected uh all amazing books my one of my favorites is unexpected yeah. the things that happen in our life that we don't like we just like what, <laughs> but they end up being ultimately for our, for our better benefit, not our detriment. Um, and I'm curious, this is a question that I've only recently started asking uh, people, but I love asking it to Christians because it's to do with God. When in your life, when you least expected God to show up in a big way that he did, and it gave you a renewed perspective of who he is. You know, it seems to happen so often in my life that uh, it, we could just take the last year because that would be most relevant to everyone. So, you know, we, the whole globe is on is in lockdown with a global pandemic. And, um, you know, it, it uh, certainly was a challenging season um, for everyone. You know, as you and I are recording this, Australia again is now going, okay, let's look at things again. And I, I've got um, 15 A21 offices around the world and different countries are in different phases of lockdown, even now, like even at this time in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when it all happened in March 2020, um, I'm thinking like, what is going to happen, God? Like, you know, here we are fighting human trafficking and we're all locked up in our homes and I've got all of these offices around the world. And yet, how God has turned up, and this is like the, the story of my life, of my, my journey with Jesus, is it is astounding that in a time of, of great crisis on the earth, you know, a global pandemic, so many challenges, so much loss, so much grief, so much pain, I have seen the faithfulness of God come through. You know, we, we have, Jay, right now after this year of a global pandemic, we have more survivors in our care in A21 freedom centers than ever before. 
We have seen so many prosecutions, which just doesn't even seem feasible during a global pandemic. Traffickers convicted, you know, prosecuted and convicted. Unbelievable. We've been able to reach more people with our prevention and awareness strategies. Um, and again, I see the faithfulness of God that I see that even during a, a huge lockdown, a great unexpected crisis. And in that book, Unexpected, I go from everything from when I got a cancer diagnosis that I wasn't expecting and just seeing how God came through in that moment. When there is betrayals in relationships, when there are friendships that fall awry, when there are economic challenges. Um, the one thing I can tell you is, you know, I'm old enough to be your mother, literally. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've almost been saved longer than you've been alive. Um, I can tell you one thing as a 55-year-old mother in the faith, our God is faithful. The, you know, life is full of pain. Life is full of suffering. Um, but life is also full of joy. Life is also full of, of peace and goodness and kindness. And God is faithful. Our circumstances change, but our God does not change. And if we allow him, even through all of those unexpected circumstances, they, they, those circumstances can be used to really enhance the sanctification process in our lives, to help us become more like Jesus, to help us uh, learn to trust him at a new level. And I think in this last year, you know, there are many times that I've just had to learn to trust God, even when I, I couldn't trace him. You know, I'd be looking around going, where are you? You know, like this is like uh, just every time you think, that maybe we're going to come out of this. There is, you know, either. Uh, I mean, we've seen this last year. You, we've got, we've seen so much economic crises. We've seen social injustice issues and racial issues just heightened around the world. We've seen natural disasters. Everything from tsunamis to storms to you know fires to. I mean, we even had locusts. Uh, Jay, I was waiting for 2020. I thought the frogs were going to turn out up and the gnats. I thought we are in the book of Exodus. We are having <laughs> the plagues come out. I mean, I'm going. But the thing that I have seen is God is faithful and his purposes prevail. And the fight of faith for me is the fight to keep believing that God is faithful, that God is for us, that God is good, that God will come through. And that is the fight of faith. We've got a lot of fights happening out there in the in the internet world. Um, and I think sometimes we are so consumed with the wrong fights um, that we forget to fight the fight of faith. And the fight of faith isn't some cultural wars fight about, you know, the latest issue. It's the fight internally you know, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, to keep believing God in a culture that's moving away from God, in a culture that challenges your very faith in God, in a culture that's saying, where is your God in suffering? Where is your God in pain? Where is your God with all of this injustice in the world? Um, the fight to continue to believe God is the fight of faith that is ahead for all of us. Mm. I want to share with you a verse that actually it's in my, it's on this page of my, my Eagle journal and it, it speaks to everything you just said, but ultimately, you know, how we're in a fight of faith. Ultimately God says in Romans eight twenty eight, it's a beautiful reminder of, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And, that. Amen. and that's what I can testify. You know, even when I look at, at my life, like I'm this kid in Sydney, Australia, that was left unnamed and unwanted in a hospital, that was, you know, adopted, that was sexually abused, that grew up, you know, in Layla Park, which at the time was one of the poorest zip codes in, in you know, all of New South Wales and in 
kind of, you know, in a, a sort of subculture of an immigrant community. Um, all of those things can seem like uh, things that would really have thwarted my purpose or my destiny. But the truth is that God has woven all of those broken pieces of my past together and he has worked them together for my good and for his glory, which is just astounding. And can I tell you, Jay, every time we put a trafficker in jail, every time we rescue, you know, a young woman or a child or a, a man, um, I just think, devil, you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it. And I feel like Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and he said to his brothers, you meant this for evil against me. But God meant it for this very purpose, to save many people alive. And I, I feel that if you allow God to redeem the broken pieces of your past, God never wastes a hurt. And, you know, I don't know, uh, it never makes it okay, but it can become useful and fruitful for the glory of God. And I think that's where Rome, what Romans 8.28 speaks to. And, you know, we have a, a culture right now where I think there's so much pain, there's so much loss, there's so much grief that we need to remind people that there is a redemptive purpose that Jesus Christ is able to redeem, he is able to restore, he is able to save and heal. I'm not in any way trying to minimize pain or suffering or loss or grief or injustice, but what I am saying is that if you put that in the hands of Jesus, he can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around and work it together for your good and for his glory. Mm. We've just got to believe that he can. That's right. And, and trust him with that. I, I say in, in my book, there's a chapter called the mustard seed. And it yes. talks about how all of us, all we need is the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, which you know, put, for those people that are watching the video, I'm putting it on my fingers, which is like super tiny. It doesn't take much, but then when we do, we're able to see God do some amazing, amazing things. Like I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for God. That's just the honest truth. Like yeah. I've seen him work incredible miracles in my life and some things that have just made me question, you know, why was I questioning God in the first place? You know, like <laughs> all, all that stuff. Like it's almost we think that he's not working behind the scenes, but he really is. And though yes. we can't see it, we just got to wait. We've got to be patient. And all things will will come together when we when we least expect it to happen, um, which which sort of leads me to my next question, Christine. I, I do want to be mindful of your time. I'm loving this conversation, by the way. Um, what sort of led you on on the path of writing this book, and and why now? Like your your new book, how in the world did I get here? So how in the world did you get to writing this book? <laughs> you know, I think it's it's just. Uh, 2016, 17, 18 were, were just challenging years, I think, all around. I think for me, I went through just a, a a real deep, another layer of God doing some healing. Um, my mum passed away. My sister-in-law, who was my age, passed away. My husband, one of his sisters died. One of his brother-in-laws died. It was just one of those seasons. And I'm living across the other side of the world that of just a lot of loss. And then um, in that, I also, in a, in a personal friendship, I experienced a, a degree of betrayal that just really rocked me, you know, like everyone. I've got thick skin but a very tender heart. And, you know, you come in close and, 
you know, you, you've got the capacity. The only people that really have the capacity to hurt you are the people that are close to you. So I think that just really rocked me. Um, that was a, a time, 2016, 2017, here in America, a very volatile time, I think, politically, you know, socially. And I think if you've got any kind of public profile, it's it, you're always going to be dragged in. Like people are, you're, you're not saying enough, you're saying too much, you know, you, you can't win. I think in a, in a social media world, um, it's so hard to win nowadays. And, you know, there's a cancel culture and it's some, section, some sectors think, you know, you, you're not saying enough about certain things and other people want you to say more about certain things or you didn't say it the right way. I, you know, it's, it's a challenging time to have any kind of uh, public profile or leadership. So I think a whole lot of those things were all happening at once. And internally, I think particularly when my mum died, it was just another layer of, uh, of course, it just triggered some stuff. Of course, mother issues with me, you know, not knowing my biological mother, um, just issues with my adopted mum. And it was an invitation from God in many ways to want to do a deeper work on the inside of me. But I, and I was just feel I think I was feeling the pressure of so many things. And there was this one day, Jay, that I just um, thought, you know, my husband was watching this uh, series on Netflix um, about Hell Week and the Navy SEALs. I don't know. I don't know if that translates to Australia, but kind of the elite um, Navy you know, troops yeah. kind of thing. And this hell week is this week. So you've got to be in the 0.01% in terms of your fitness and your mental capacity to even get into hell week. And then the whole purpose of this hell week is to break you down, like to break you down, you know, mentally, physically, you sleep maybe three hours in the whole week. You've got to do all of these activities that are just designed. Well, obviously, um, if they can break you down, then they need to because you'd never make it on the front lines of the kind of missions they're going to send you on. So that, that's what the whole idea is. And the whole idea is to get you to ring the bell, to go into the quadrangle, ring the bell, go and have a shower, go back to your battalion and you're kind of just, you're not going to be a SEAL. You're still going to be in the armed services. You're just not going to be a SEAL. Mm -hmm. He's watching all of this to relax. And I walk in and um then, you know, there was just this scene and it was like they dropped the guys out of a helicopter into the freezing cold ocean in the middle of the night. You know, they've got to swim to shore and do all this stuff. Mm. And I just started crying and um, it, it was just very unlike me. And I um, just thought, I think this is how I feel. And I've always said with what I'm called to do, um, we are kind of like our, our ministry, the sort of things that we do to rescue the victims of trafficking, to help empower women around the world. You know, it's all it's kind of like the Navy SEALs of the Christian church, man. We are in the front lines and we are going in and we're going to, you know, um, do, do what we need to do. And I just said to my husband, I go, it's like I've been dropped out of the helicopter. Let's go on another mission. And um, I know I could do it. I know I'm not going to die. I know I've got the match fitness. I know I've got the strength. Um, but for the first time in 30 years, I don't, I don't know if I really want to. And that freaked me out, Jay, because I've, I've been in many situations where I've thought, I don't know if I can. Like even when we start day 21, I'm like, what do I know about human trafficking? I don't know if I can do this. I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills. I don't. Uh, plenty of times in my life, even when I've gotten up to speak, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I don't know if I'm equipped. I don't know if I can is very different to I don't know if I want to. Yeah. Um, I know I can. I don't know if I want to. And I, I just remember uh, I'm thinking if I just take my foot off the gas, nobody's going to really know. I've got so much momentum from 30 years. We're doing a global thing. I've got a 
big organization, a couple of hundred staff, you know, like I, I could take my foot off the gas, ride the momentum of the last three decades, and nobody would really even know. I wasn't thinking I'm going to go do anything bad. It was just, I'm just going to take my foot off the gas. And then I just remember I was crying and I thought, but Jesus would know. Jesus would know that I took my foot off the gas. And it was this moment of going, why am I doing what I'm doing? Ultimately, ultimately I'm doing it for Jesus. That's the whole point. It's not a matter of like, you know, have I done enough, you know, as a 50 something year old woman? Am I do it's like, have I truly, will I be able to stand before him? And we started the podcast this way and he would look at me and I would look at him and we would both know if I really did do everything I was put on this earth to do, regardless of how many awards I've got. I mean, even back then I'd had the Mother Teresa Award. I've gotten different, you know, State Department Awards. I mean, that, that, it doesn't matter what awards the world's seen that I've gotten. Jesus would know, you know, did I keep going? Did I, like the Apostle Paul, go, I'm pressing on. I'm forgetting those things that are behind. I'm pressing. And, um, and out of that, it was that night that I just turned to my husband. I'm weeping. And I said, how did I get here? Like, how did I, there's the book title. Like, it was like, how did I get, and it, it put me on a bit of a journey to go, if I could, when I say drift off purpose, and I started to look around me and just notice so many people, so many people in life, like in the church world, drifting away from God, deconstructing their faith and drifting off course, people in the corporate sector, you know, I know lots of people listen to this podcast from different sectors, but drifting from, you know, mission drift in their corporation, like, you you know, you get there and go, how did I get here? How did we, how did our organization get so far off course? People drifting out of marriages, people drifting out of friendships. And the thing is that, you know, all you have to do to drift is nothing. Mm. I mean, it's not even a matter that you have to go do something bad. Like some people, it's like, you know, there's a, a bad thing and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I did something really bad. A lot of people drift not because they did something bad, but just because they did nothing, whether like, nothing to keep yourself on course. You know, when we're in Australia as kids, my dad would take us on vacation to this, to Yumina Beach up on the North Coast. Yeah, man, up near the entrance. Yeah. And um, my dad would always put a big beach umbrella up one side and then a whole bunch of beach towels on the other side. And he'd say to us, when you go out there, there's a huge riptide. There's an undercurrent under there. So be really careful because you're not going to notice it. You're not going to know. You're just going to have fun. You're not doing anything bad. But if you do not check your markers frequently, you will drift. And, um, you know, I think because we've been in such a volatile season in the world and this last year and just the last few years, whether it's um, politically, economically, socially, global pandemic, you know, there's been so many cultural shifts. The currents have been changing, whether you have noticed it or not, the world, has, the tectonic plates have shifted. And if you do nothing, if you do not check your markers regularly, you are going to drift, of course. However that looks, it might look like it did for me. It might look like you're drifting right out of your faith. It might look like you're drifting out of your relationships. Any area of life, you got to check your markers. And I think for me, it was then, okay, after at the time, you know, 30 years of following Jesus, if I had to say something to a generation, a generation that's going through so many cultural current shifts right now, what are the things that keep us anchored. If Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, 
What does that look like in 2021 when everything is shifting in every sphere of society? Everything has changed. What does it mean to be anchored? How do you check the links in your chain? You know, I love to go boating. And my husband says, drop the anchor. Well, I remember one day I dropped it, but I didn't realize you had to check that the anchor actually went into the seabed. And so our boat went off and hit another boat because I'm like, oh, and Nick's like, Chris, I told you to drop the anchor. I go, I did. But he goes, did you set the anchor? And I go, you told me to drop it, not set it. And I think this is a season for everyone, no matter where you're at and actually no matter what you believe, that it's not just time to drop an anchor. You've got to set that anchor and go, what actually am I anchored to? And let me check the links in the chat. Let me actually check that I'm still connected to the anchor. Like, you know, a lot of people have lost hope and a lost purpose. And it's like, are you still connected to that anchor? And then it was like, well, you know what? Here are some chapters. If I, I'm not, I'm not going to overstate it. Here are the things in my life where I can say to you as a 55-year-old person still making the decision to put my foot on the pedal, keep going towards that finish line, keep growing, keep developing, hopefully keep staying faithful, not perfect, making mistakes, acknowledging them, getting back up and keep going. Here are the things that have kept me anchored and I think it's time for us to check our markers because people are feeling so destabilised. People are feeling like they're just being drawn out and it's not because they're waking up one day and going, oh, I think I'm going to do something really bad today. It's just somewhere we forgot to check our markers and everything has just changed so rapidly that it's like, wow. And I think if I can be in a state where I'm going, how did I get here? There's got to be other people out there that are asking that same question. And I'm just hoping, um, you know, that's why I wrote this. I'm, I'm hoping that this book is somehow going to help people go, let, let me check my markers and let me check where I'm at. So that, that's kind of where it came from at this stage of my life. That's another amazing story for someone that is not a Christian, that I believe <laughs> in all this and they're looking sure. for some strategies or practical practical tools that they can apply in their own life to become more grounded in their purpose, whatever they believe that is to not sort of drift away from yeah. life, essentially, what would you advise them? Yeah, I love that. And when I wrote this, I wrote it very intentionally um, to people that both are, uh, you know, have a faith and people that don't have a faith. And I think you, you'll see that throughout here because I think this is a universal issue. It's not just a faith issue. And, um, I think we have to be ultimately rooted and grounded in a higher purpose uh, for our lives because I think what we're discovering and the pandemic is what has made perhaps our own mortality. Um, it's brought it into our own face more than, you know, you, you could be running when we were all busy. You can be avoiding the fact that um, George Bernard Shaw said it beautifully. He said, death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one will die. Most of us live our lives forgetting that fact. And um, it's not that, you know, the pandemic, um, it, what it did was it brought into our faces because we were all stuck at home. We were all online. And so suddenly we are confronted with the fact that this invisible virus that none of us could see actually shut down the entire planet. So I'm figuring if we can believe enough in an invisible virus to alter our entire lives, perhaps we can believe in an invisible God 
<laughs> to to alter our entire lives. What what the pandemic showed me is we all have faith in something invisible, and that that is what that showed me. So I'm like, y'all, we've all got faith because we're staying at home because we're scared of this invisible thing, and it's shut us down. So maybe there is this invisible God that actually has a purpose and a plan and goodness and kindness for us. And so anchoring yourself in something bigger than yourself, acknowledging that perhaps my life on the planet has a purpose and I am not a result of some accident. And if I can anchor myself to that purpose, if I can anchor myself to something bigger than me, um, I think a lot of the uh, despair, there is so much despair in the world. There is so much anxiety. There is so much depression. And I think a lot of that has got to do with hopelessness. And so when I speak about the fact that Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, it transcends the here and now. It transcends our circumstances here and now. And the one thing that the last year has convinced me is that we all believe in invisible things. So, you know, maybe I'm not cray-cray because I believe in this God that you can't see. That's all I'm saying. Just just drop the mic right now. That that was like unbelievable. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, I do. Ah, oh, where do I go to? Where do I go from here? <laughs> but if, if I was to, okay, so if I was to pick up a copy of your book, I love asking people this question. You've you probably already explained it, but I just want to see, if I was to pick up a copy and turn to any page or chapter at all, that I'm going to get the most out of it. Like it's just going to absolutely like shake my grounding, you know, you name it. Which page or chapter would, would you recommend that I turn to first? You know, I, I would want you to start in um, uh, the opening, the opening story, I think, right at the sort of prologue and the epilogue and every chapter in between, like I can't, but but to really, um, I think, jump into both the emotion and the reason um, of what drifting is and how drifting can impact every single one of us, regardless of where you're at in your own journey in life, um, I would want you to start there. I would want you to start right at the beginning and not just dive in because the context um, is set there. Like, you, you know, any one of the links in the, the chain that I, I talk about, you know, I'm holding the book here for those that are watching, you know, um, but it, it talks, I think all of them talk about internal and external example. It is so practical because it, you're going to find me, I'm the most pragmatic faith person that you're ever going to meet. I'm all about faith. And how does this, work? how does this work? How does what I'm talking about right now work uh, in the next one hour in my life, in my relational life, my emotional life, you know, every realm of life. So a lot of the pragmatic stuff is the chapters, you know, from chapter two to nine um, in there. But the the beginning epilogue and the prologue of just anchoring the book ends, I think you can be at any stage of life and you would jump in there and, and find something in there that goes, this resonates with me. And then that then gives me the why to apply some of the things that I've said um, in all of the other chapters. And so, um, you know, it, it's certainly not fluffy, I'll tell you that much, but but this world, it, the stakes are too high to be fluffy right now. People are too desperate. Whether you, you have a faith or you don't have a faith um, in God, you know, everyone's got a faith in something, but if you don't have a faith in God, um, the stakes are too high. The anxiety levels are too high. The depression levels are too high. The suicide levels are too high. So despair and hopelessness, um, it, it's out there in epidemic uh, numbers. 
And so, you know, when you get to my age and you're closer to the end than you are to the beginning, you, everything you do, you're very mindful of it. And, um, you want it to have an impact and you really want it to help people. I mean, the reason at the end of the day, um, you know, I might, I might've written this, I, you know, I, I said that why at 55 with having achieved what I've achieved in life, um, if it was all about me right now, I would be sitting on the Greek Island of Santorini, uh, running a Greek taverna, serving people, feta cheese, Greek coffee, baklava and moussaka and watching the sunset of over the, you know, caldera in Santorini every day. That's what I would be doing. Um, if that was my choice, but the fact that I do, um, I love people and I truly believe that there is a God that loves them and has a plan and a purpose for their life. And I truly believe that people, if people encounter the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God and the mercy of God, it would so transform them from the inside out and compel them to live a life of purpose. That's the thing that gets me out of bed every day and makes me keep going. I love that. I absolutely love it. Christine, I'm curious, like this is just my curiosity here with the title and everything we've just spoken about and you've got a theme of your book so undaunted unexpected and all that stuff. unstoppable, unstoppable. Un unshakable unshamed so for this one why did you go with how did i get here instead of unmovable yeah, it is good, but I think I think I've given the unbooks a good run, and um, <laughs> and I, I you know unmovable is is great. And let me just say, I'm, I was laughing because I thought every book I'd write would be an unbook, but that because it came out of me, like how did I get here? And I, obviously, with the work that I do, I'm talking to people all the time, and I'm listening to people all the time. Um, it was like that phrase will stop people because everyone's asking themselves that question in some way, shape or form. And I certainly wanted to connect um, with where people are because unmovable for some people, they would pick it up and, you know, it would imply, well, I'm not feeling unmovable. You know, I'm, I'm not unmovable. I've been very movable. In fact, I've moved so much. I don't, I don't even recognize myself anymore. Whereas how did I get here? You could be anywhere. And, um, you know, I, I hope, I hope it somehow finds itself in the hands of people that have drifted so far away that even maybe somehow they're listening to this podcast and, and are thinking, Chris, I'm so far away. There is no way I could ever come back. And I want them to know that nobody has gone drifted far enough from the love of God that they could never come back. Nobody has done anything that is so bad that the love and the mercy and the grace of God is not available to draw them back. And the truth is no, no matter how far you think you've drifted from God, he's with you wherever you are. And I want people to see that beauty of God in the midst of that. The moment that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you can't be moved from his hand. Like you, no matter what you do, and this is what I've realized in my life, no matter what I've gone through, no matter how many times I've rejected him and try to walk away from him, he guides me back ever so not so gently as what I wanted it to be. But it's been this, this incredible uh, moments in my life where I look back and I think, well, that's amazing. Like there's yeah. no other real way for me to describe it. Like it's just God, God is who he is. And that's built my faith. It has strengthened it even more as a result. Um, Christine, I, this is my final question. Uh, I love asking this one at the end. It's my all time favorite. 
Um, you kind of spoke a little bit about it at the very beginning, but we'll see how we go. I'm curious about your response. So it's a hypothetical one. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I want to, I want to say that she was faithful to the end. Mm. She was faithful to the end. Can't wait. <laughs> Where can people buy your book, Christine, and, and learn more? I'm about sure it? anywhere that you know. You just Christine Kane on all the things. Instagram is where I mostly live. Um, you know, in terms of uh, social media, but um, you know, and and there are so many great resources people can access from my website. There, there's you know, and I I, I pray that um, it really does help you and serve you. Well, Christine Kane, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and for sharing your story on the Storybox podcast. Thanks, Jay. It's been a pleasure, man. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.